Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Well, the bubbling cauldron of news, events, and secret motives continues this week. And we're going to discuss them. But first, we're going to go over my series. And my series, if you remember from two weeks ago, is about Barack Hussein Obama, the treasonous spider at the center of the progressive anti-American pro Islamist and anti-constitutional cabal, and how he has cleverly stitched together the same staff, really, that evolved in some ways from Clinton, and then under him, and installed them to run his puppeteering act with Joe Biden, the foil for the real president of the United States, Barack Obama. And last week, we discussed the background of Susan Rice, who wields immense power and is the direct conduit from Obama to the White House. You know, what to say and what to do, Joe. And Anthony Blinken, Anthony, actually, Blinken, the Secretary of State. This week, we're going to examine the backgrounds of Samantha Powers and Jake Sullivan. Samantha Powers is very interesting. And you probably don't know what position of power she is currently in at Obama's behest and Joe Biden's appointment. And Jake Sullivan, of course, is the National Security Advisor. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them, and then I'm going to give you the rest of the story on both of them. And then, of course, we're going to have rat-a-tat-tat. Boy, do we cover a wide array, a wide gamut of things going on out there that will make you scratch your head. I want to welcome two more great stations to the On the Right Side Radio Syndicate, WGMT. AM 1520, FM 98.3 in New York, New Jersey, and New York City. Great to be back on the air with you folks. And WCAP 980, Boston, Massachusetts. Well, (laughs) hope you folks up there in Massachusetts like a little conservative thought coming your way. Maybe Elizabeth Warren will be an avid listener. Who knows? Anyway, welcome all you folks in New York and Boston. But first... Let's talk about our founder's quote. This is actually from Thomas Jefferson, and it's two quotes because they go perfectly together, and they're right in keeping with the theme of this show, the last several and the several coming up and this one today. Quote, nothing can stop the man with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can help the man with the wrong mental attitude, unquote. And the second quote, which ties in right with the first, quote, Do you want to know who you are? Don't ask. Act. Action will delineate and define you. Unquote. How true it is. And I'm going to be exhorting you, folks, to act. I have been. I think you can hear me beating the drums ever more loudly. But it is time to act. Time to stop complaining. Time to stop pontificating. Time to stop grousing with your neighbors about this and that and the other. And did you hear about? No, it's time to get together with your neighbors and act. Act in, your, act in your local community. Act in your election process. Interact with your representative, your state legislatures, your sheriff. And most of all, interact with others of like mind, Americans who believe in freedom in the Constitution. Remember, we far outnumber them. We are 
subjected to right now because of us, right? Our failure to act, both in the past relative to education and other matters, and now in the face of overt election fraud, continuing psyops against us, and a government which can't seem to tell us the truth about anything ever. And along those lines, you know, On the Right Side Radio is being subjected to censorship. Our algorithms are being screwed with on Facebook and on other social media platforms. Google certainly doesn't rank On the Right Side Radio at the top of its list. More, more like, you know, page 10, maybe page 15, depending upon the mood of the censorship folks at Google on a particular day. The best thing you can do for this show is to get the word out. If you like the show, send the link to 10 friends. Ask them to send the link after they listen to 10 more friends. Spread the word. And not just this show, but others like it. Shows that bring you the news behind the news, that make you think, that tell you kind of the real stuff behind the scenes. What's really precipitating the words and the thoughts and the actions and the policies. Remember, as we get further into this series on Barack Obama's cabal of treasonous henchmen, that policies are not made by government. They're made by people. Policies are not ramrodded down a population's throat by a government. They're ramrodded down by people who direct a government apparatus. And perhaps that will tie in the importance of the series I'm bringing you. The people who run the show. <laughs> and it's not, it is not Uncle Joe. It is not the cadaver-in-chief. Which brings us to our rant story this week. So we're putting up this fence. It's a... Uh, Jack Lake fence, kind of those big wooden crosses with the rails. <clears throat> we like those. They last forever. They're impenetrable by elk, who, who love to tear down wire fences, and cows. Uh, deer can kind of clamber through them, but they are sturdy. They are long-lasting, and they look great. And in this fence, which is on a slope, if you can kind of picture it, not a steep slope, but a gentle one, there's a gate that needs to be put in, and I had wandered away for, to do something, to look at something, and I came back, and I found the gate being put in with the hinge side on the downhill part of the slope. And the gate's a 14-foot gate, so, you know, even if you have, oh, a 1-foot and 10-foot rise, a 10% grade, that makes a really big difference. Picture it in your mind. The high point of the ground, which is where the gate opens, is plus or minus a foot higher than the hinge side of the gate where it swings. And what does that mean? That means when you put the gate in, it's not going to open or close too well because it's going to be dragging on the ground on the uphill side. And I didn't jump up and down, and I didn't stamp my feet. Instead, I looked at the gentleman who was putting in the gate, and I said, have you thought about the fact that when you swing this gate, it's going to get caught on the ground? And he looked at it. He goes, well, you know, you can lift it up a little bit, and you can move it. And I said, yeah, but that's really not the right way to do it, right? How about putting the gate so that the hinge side is on the uphill part of the gate opening and the swing side is on the downhill part and the slope will automatically create the space between the bottom of the gate and the ground that you need to swing the gate open and closed easily. And he looked at it and he grumbled a little bit and I kind of wandered away. And when I came back, he was busy reinstalling the gate, this time hinge side uphill. And what's the moral of this story? The moral of this story is always survey the landscape. And I don't mean necessarily the land, although that's certainly apropos in this little story. I mean, survey the landscape. What is the situation? What achieves the best result long-term, most efficiently? 
and in a manner where you don't have to readdress and revisit a problem you've created by not surveying the landscape time and time again down the road. You could almost apply that rant story to what we need to do to correct this government of ours. But we'll be getting into that. Let's talk about Samantha Powers, a very interesting woman. She was born on September 21, 1970. And as you may know, she was the 28th United States Ambassador to the United Nations from 2013 to 2017. And as you probably are aware, she's an ardent member of the Democratic Party. She began her career kind of as a war correspondent covering the Yugoslav Wars, you know, Kosovo, etc., during the Clinton days. You know, this is kind of a recurring theme you're going to see with all these people. In one way, shape, or form, they were involved with the Clintons, and then they came under Obama's fold when Hillary lost the nomination to him in 2008. And, you know, somehow they've managed to stay right there with Barack. And now they control the levers of government, supposedly under the direction of Joe Biden. We think not. Interestingly, she was born in London, and she's the daughter of two Irishmen. She became a United States citizen in 1993 at the age of 23. She got her B.A. degree in history from Yale University. You know, you're going to see the same names of universities for all these people. (laughs) And it kind of tells you a little bit about our education system and where we've gone astray. But she got her degree in history from Yale. And she got her J.D. degree, her law degree, from Harvard Law School. To her credit, she's written a Pulitzer Prize winning book about how American policy doesn't properly address genocide. There's, why don't we say, some interesting, oh, hypocrisy in her writing of the book and the policy she has carried out in several of her positions here for Clinton and Obama and now, quote-unquote, Biden. In 2004, she was named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world in that year. And by the way, she began writing a column for Time in 2007. She began to work for Barack Obama during his campaign in 2008. In fact, during the primaries, you know, the primaries against Hillary. But she resigned that position, interestingly enough, when she made a faux pas on a national news show and called Hillary a monster. Well, you know, got to hand it to Samantha. She was perfectly right. But there was a big brouhaha within the Democratic Party, and particularly Hillary, as you can well imagine, and she resigned from the Obama campaign. However, that was only temporary, because in 2009, shortly after taking office, Obama appointed her to a position on the National Security Council. Oh, you mean Susan Rice, accomplice. And in 2013, he appointed her as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, which, by the way, kind of like the National Security Advisor, the position that Rice held, is virtually a cabinet-level position. She pursued various private endeavors in 2016 and 2017, and then she was again, should we say, called to arms by, well, they say Biden, but we know it was Barack. And she's currently, believe it or not, folks, the head of the USAID money machine. You know, the international money machine, where we dole out hundreds of millions of dollars to countries and favorite people around the world. Now, far be it for me to suggest that where she doles out money and how much might be dictated by other parties, but it's certainly a possibility that we can think about. She was also given a spot on the National Security Council, and she has full West Wing access to President Joe our cadaver-in-chief. She's an interesting lady in in that she's extremely outspoken. She holds uh, hard beliefs 
She doesn't mind talking about them, and she rarely makes a public flub, maybe having learned her lesson from calling Hillary a monster there in the Obama-Hillary clash for the nomination in 2008. But she's been very quiet about the withdrawal of American troops in Afghanistan, because obviously it was a debacle. Many people, by the way, around Washington, people in the know, think that she has her eyes set on higher sights than simply running USAID, kind of like maybe her sights on Secretary of State, or maybe the job of Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, the next guy we're going to talk about today. Basically, Samantha has worked hard to disassociate herself from anything and everything Afghanistan, particularly the withdrawal. By the way, when she laid out her visions for USAID, that included promises to recruit a, quote, more diverse workforce. Oh, well, that should help us dole out hundreds of millions. And direct more development dollars to local organizations in countries where USAID operates. Now, what was Barack Obama? Let's go back in history. Oh, that's right. He was a community organizer on a local level. Because change starts locally, doesn't it? And if you're trying to, shall we say, foist or foster radical Islamist ideas, collective thought, anti-American thought, you want to start at the local level, don't you? And that's where you want to give your money if you're being directed to, if you're running USAID. Let me give you a quote from Powers. Quote, programming to strengthen democracy and fight corruption has been core to USAID's work for decades and is one of my top priorities for the agency, unquote. You know, that's kind of a two-edged statement based on my reasoning right before. And of course, based on who she might be taking directions from in doling out that aid and comfort to local communities around the world. So you have in Samantha Powers a very savvy, straightforward, brilliant, she's obviously brilliant, disciple of Barack Obama, running the expenditure of hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars and doling them out to, shall we say, favored nations, favored communities, and favored folks around the world. But let me tell you the rest of the story. In 2008, shortly after Obama was elected, she got married, and she married a guy by the name of Cass Sunstein. Now, I've brought you that name before. A number of years ago, I did a series on the shadow government, the deep state, one of the very first in the United States to use those terms. And I went through a complete list of Obama's czars. Do you remember Obama's czars? It just so happens Cass Sunstein was one of Obama's czars. In fact, the regulatory czar. And Cass Sunstein, it gets better. He wrote that book, which I've told you about in previous shows, called Nudge, which is how to nudge people into situations and in directions, slowly but surely, you know, the slow boil of the frog, until they're so deeply in, until they've swallowed so much of the poison pill that there's no escape. And now to go one step further, do you know that Cass Sunstein is still involved in politics? In fact, he's still involved with Cadaver's administration. Because who do you think one of their primary consultants on immigration is? That's right, Cass Sunstein. Think about the slow boil of the American demographic frog down there on the southern border. And things become very clear. Now let's talk about Jake Sullivan. And then I'll tell you the rest of his story, which is rather interesting also. So he currently serves as the United States National Security Advisor. He's 40 years old. He supposedly reports directly to President Joe Biden. And prior to this, oh, big surprise, he served as Director of Policy to President Barack Obama. And he served as the National Security Advisor to the Vice President, at that time Biden. And he was 
Oh, get ready for this. Deputy Chief of Staff for Secretary Hillary Clinton at the U.S. Department of State. My, isn't it amazing how this really small circle of elite progressives are intertwined? Sullivan was born in Burlington, Vermont, also, by the way, to a family of Irish descent. He grew up in blue, 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 Minneapolis, Minnesota. And guess what school he attended? Oh, boy, you'll never guess. Yale University. And he majored in international studies, in which he, according to Yale, excelled. He won a Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford across the pond, and he studied international relations over there. He graduated from Oxford with a master's in philosophy, and then he went back to Yale. Oh, (laughs) you know, Yale, Columbia, Harvard, where he earned his Juris Doctor, you know, his law degree. By the way, who else in this circle has a law degree? Oh, that's right, Barack Obama. Because, you know, if you're going to shape society, folks, if you're going to transform society, you have to know the law. You have to be able to write law, and you have to know how to circumvent, get around the law. He then interned at the Council of Foreign Relations. I've told you all about them. This is not a pro-American or pro-peace group in the United States government, and never has been. Then he clerked for Judge Guido Calabresi of the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, a ardent Democrat, and Justice Stephen Breyer, another ardent Democrat, on the Supreme Court. He also worked as chief counsel to Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar, who, by the way, was his connection, way back when, to Hillary Clinton. Interestingly, in 2008, Sullivan was an advisor to Hillary Clinton, right, when she was running against Barack Obama. Do you see any similarities here with, on the opposite side of the fence, Samantha Powers? And when she became Secretary of State, that's when he joined her as Deputy Chief of Staff and the Director of Policy Planning. And he traveled with her to 112 different countries. And then when Obama came into power, he worked as a deputy assistant to the president and national security advisor to Vice President Joe Biden. He became Biden's top security aide about February or so of 2013, right after Clinton stepped down as Secretary of State. And guess what he was instrumental in shaping? Foreign policy in Libya. Oh, well, that's a mess right now. Syria. Wow. 500,000 people died and 6 million refugees, and it's still going on. Great job. And Myanmar, which happens to be a scene of rampant unrest and partial genocide. And by the way, when he took over as national security advisor for, quote-unquote, Joe Biden, after Biden's, quote-unquote, election, he had the audacity, after his former policy mishaps, shall we call them, that he, quote, aimed to repair American relations with allies that are regarded as being damaged during the Trump administration, unquote. Okay, let's see. Do we have any wars during Trump? No, nah, I don't think so. Do we have any wars now? Oh, I guess we got a couple going. But here's the rest of the story on young Jake. Guess who Obama tapped to kind of be one of the lead emissaries in the secret, and it began in 2013, Iran nuclear deal? That's right, Jake Sullivan. And did you know that he regularly attends, still, bilateral consultations with Iran in Geneva? And did you know that between 2017 and May of 2020, Sullivan served on an advisory council for Microsoft? Oh, our friend Bill Gates. And Sullivan has had a number of meetings with Israeli officials, Israel's national security advisor, Mayor Ben Shabbat, and Israel's ambassador, Galad Erdan. Those were in 2021. Quite famously, three weeks before Hamas's attack in Israel, we're going to be talking about that in the rat-a-tat-tat because that is a big, fat trap for Israel. Jake Sullivan was on all the national TV spots gloating how peaceful the Mideast was and praising Joe Biden. Oh, of course it's Joe Biden. 
and praising the powers that be in the White House for keeping peace in the Mideast, unlike that nasty Trump guy. That was just three weeks before the current mess that we find ourselves in. By the way, in his consulting gig at Macro Advisor Partners, this is during, you know, the Trump years while the Obama crew rested and plotted and planned, he became chummy with all the big executives at companies like Uber, MasterCard, Lego, Bank of America, Aviva, Standard Life Aberdeen, and Standard Charter. And at the end of 2021, it was Sullivan who met in Saudi Arabia with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to discuss the quote-unquote global energy crisis to tell Saudi Arabia that America was going green and other such, shall we say, not-too-smart comments, the results of which we see with Saudi Arabia joining the BRICS countries two months ago and taking yuan and other currencies for oil, in other words, moving away from the petrodollar. But last but not least of the rest of the story on Jake Sullivan, the guy who's in charge of our national security, he blamed the Afghanistan debacle, which, by the way, he played a key role in planning, you know, the so-called evacuation, the so-called extrication of the United States from Afghanistan. He blamed it on the Afghans. Quote, we could not give them the will, and they ultimately decided they would not fight for Kabul, and they would not fight for their country. Unquote. Well, there's a lot of people that disagree with him on that. I happen to be one of them, but I don't count much. However, Brett Bruin, who is the director of global engagement in the Obama White House, has now called for his dismissal, given his role in the Afghanistan tragedy slash catastrophe for the United States. Which in many ways, folks, history will tell us what the full import of that debacle in Afghanistan was. But I am convinced that it played a key role in Putin's decision to move into Ukraine, China's arms rattling and, I think, eventual movement on Taiwan, North Korea's abandonment of the agreement to not launch missiles made with Trump, and I can go on down the list. When your enemy perceives weakness, they pounce. Next week, we're going to discuss some more Obama disciples that just so happen to be in positions of extreme power within the so-called Biden administration. You know, <laughs> there are no coincidences, folks. None at all. But now, let's do some rat-a-tat-tat. We're going to start off with some news on the Israel-Hamas Mideast mess. And once again, I'm not here to bring you the news. You know, X amount of people, this happened to them, and X amount of bombs were dropped. You can get that anywhere and everywhere. I want to bring you some deeper thought, because that's what this radio show does. I personally think that Israel is in a trap, and that Netanyahu is in a trap. And I think the trap is intentional. Let's keep in mind that Barack Hussein Obama hates Benjamin Netanyahu. They didn't get along on a personal level. But more than that, Netanyahu was steadfastly opposed to the Iran nuclear deal. In fact, if you remember, I think it was in 2015, he addressed Congress and much to Obama's chagrin, on why this deal was a bad deal. And if you remember also, Obama spent illegally 300 and some odd thousand of our U.S. taxpayers to try and undermine Netanyahu's re-election shortly after that. In other words, overt interference by the American government in the affairs of another government. In fact, one of our closest quote-unquote allies on the planet. And Israel now is in a horrible position. You really can't tell me, you cannot convince me that American intelligence had not an inkling of what Hamas had planned. 
I mean, I just find it unfathomable. And I find it unfathomable that Israeli intelligence didn't have an inkling of what happened there in southern Israel. And I find it highly suspect that roughly six months before that mess, that terror attack, Israel disarmed its citizens outside of Gaza. That's right, southern Israel. Now, maybe that was because the government was concerned because of the upheaval in the country over Netanyahu's proposed revisions to the Supreme Court. Maybe that was because the Americans were actively involved, as has now been pretty much proven, in the quote-unquote color revolution, which brought, you know, a million-plus Israelis to the streets over this judicial reform. But in any event, when the Hamas bad actors, the terrorists, arrived on the scene in these small villages, kibbutzes, and even isolated army bases, they found a population that was unarmed and unable to defend themselves. Remember this when people talk to you about the Second Amendment, folks. But more importantly, this fomented, American fomented unrest in Israel that led up to this made Netanyahu very unpopular with a large portion of the Israeli population. And the Hamas attack only accentuated that. Yes, there was a spirit of unity and patriotism in Israel, but the left, allies of Barack Obama, are now kind of licking their chops over the situation Netanyahu and Israel is in. Because Netanyahu has vowed to destroy Hamas. In the meantime, Joe Biden, (laughs) through Joe Biden's mouth, Obama's puppeteering, has pretty much warned Netanyahu about moving on Gaza, using as an excuse that we want to get our hostages back. And the more it's delayed, the more the retribution that Israel and Israelis want to see occur, the more that's delayed, the less popular Netanyahu becomes. And as I think we all know, uh, Barry, our buddy Barry Obama, is not a big friend of Israel. Put aside the personal problems he has with Netanyahu. Radical Islamists generally aren't really sympathetic to Israel. And what is the root of all these problems, whether it's Hezbollah, whether it's Hamas, whether it's the deplorable conditions in Gaza, whether it's the Palestinian mess, whether it's the problems in Syria or throughout the Mideast, the problem is Iran. Now, we already know that Barry tried to do a deal with Iran, which would limit their nuclear weapons capabilities, their development of nuclear weapons for 10 years. And after that, and those 10 years are up, and after that, they were free to make all the bombs they wanted. I'm simplifying the agreement, but that's pretty much its essence. And let us not forget that it was Obama, oh, with Biden at his side, when Biden was still lucid, who gave up Iran $60 billion in released reserves, sent them roughly $1.2 billion in cash, actual cash, on pallets in the middle of the night, and recently released $6 billion additional to Iran, right before the October 7th Hamas attacks. Now, I know some of you are shaking your heads, oh, this conspiracy theory. Well, I'm going to go into more detail next week, and here's a little teaser for you. Remember these names. Obama, Iran, Paragon Software, CIA, Mossad. There's dots that I'm putting together, and I think you'll find that it absolutely supports my thesis on this is a trap for Netanyahu, for Israel, for the conservative government of Israel. And the beneficiary is Iran. And the United States administration, despite wasting taxpayer money on sending two carrier groups there as a show, and it is a show, it's a psyops, to pretend that we're supporting Israel and the Netanyahu now coalition government. What we are not doing is taking out the disease. Hezbollah 
and Hamas are merely symptoms of the disease. The disease is Iran. What we are doing is delaying and hindering Israel's response to these attacks. Now, in one way, that's kind of good because if Israel goes helter-skelter into Gaza, there's a high likelihood the war will expand. But on the other hand, it's bad because Israel is a nation that wants retribution. And Israel is a nation that's going to demand a leader give it retribution or they're going to get rid of that leader. It's a very clever, typical Obama play. Any way it works out, he kind of wins. The only way he doesn't win is to cripple Iran, which he seems by all the actions of his government and his disciples, like Jake Sullivan that we just talked about, etc., and Susan Rice, he seems to want to mollycoddle in some way, shape, or form. This is a very dangerous time for Israel, folks. I really hope I'm wrong. But I think Israel's going to get stabbed in the back. Well, it's being stabbed in the back by the United States, but I mean, I think the United States is going to twist that knife when push comes to pull. You can see it just in the way Kadhafer, I mean Obama's third term, is ramping up and linking the aid for Israel, $40 billion, with the aid to Ukraine, $60 billion. It would lead you to believe that Israel is not their first concern. We'll keep our eyes on this situation, but I, I'll just say I have some trepidation for Israel and the Israeli people. By the way, along those lines, did you know it took Barry 72 hours after the Hamas attack to make a statement about it? 72 hours, three days. That's like an eternity when an event like that happens. Think about if a foreign leader, supposedly our best ally, had taken three days to make a comment about 9-11 just to put it in perspective. And as a further little indication, shall we say, the Voice of America, you know, that big radio show that uh, the United States sponsors around the world, you know, it gets all its money from Congress. In fact, the actual outfit that gives its hundreds of millions of dollars a year is the U.S. Agency for Global Media. Guess what the head of the Voice of America told his 1,300 or so reporters, etc., last week. He sent out an email Quote, avoid calling Hamas and its members terrorists except in quotes, unquote. And language including terrorism is often used to demonize individuals and groups with whom the speaker disagrees. In this case, it would be more appropriate to have useful alternatives such as militant group or militants or fighters. Or in this specific case, it would be the Hamas militant group or Hamas fighters. Oh, okay. I got it. And how about some rat-a-tat-tat? Remember that we have a host of videos and articles on the website, International Rat-a-tat-tat, under the audio bar. Check out these stories and details as further indication that the Biden-slash-Obama administration really does not have Israel's back. There was a Monday press briefing, and Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, was asked about the rise in anti-Semitism being seen across the nation following the terrorist attack by Hamas. But... Her reply was, it was telling, why don't we just say, quote, I know John Kirby addressed the protests on college campuses, and I appreciate that the president respects the First Amendment of all Americans. Okay. And then she went on to say, I'm not going to get into what's happening across the country in at different universities. I'm not going to get into the specifics. Okay, Jean-Pierre, let's have a nice unequivocal statement, shall we? And we know that the government is in cahoots with big tech. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Missouri versus Biden lawsuit here in just a moment. But Google, you know, the censorship in chief, 
working in concert with the Obama administration, or I mean the Biden administration, they've shown their true colors too. And, you know, it's kind of telling as to what the government is telling them to do. It seems that Google is suppressing, quite a bit, the readership of any news concerning the radical students at Harvard University, 37 student organizations who voice their support for Hamas. Now, to put this all in perspective for you, you know, don't use the word terror, don't use the word terrorist, Google suppression. It just so happens that Hamas, folks, is a designated terrorist organization by the United States of America. Think about that paradox. And then shifting over to our friend China. It seems there's a battery firm with, so we say, considerable ties to the Communist Chinese Party. And talk about significant espionage risk, national security issues. There's an outfit called Defense of Democracies, FDD. It's a nonpartisan research institute. It's focused just on issues of national security, foreign affairs, etc. It seems that CATL, which is a battery manufacturing firm headquartered in Fujian, China, major player in the global battery market like maybe the largest. And it seems that they are selling energy storage systems to American utility companies to help them provide, you know, for that decarbonized power grids of the future. And to military installations. You don't think they could put, like, malware bugs in there or turn-off switches? No, they'd never do that, would they? And as long as Joe is getting his checks from them every month, you know, who knows, uh, who knows when they'll be stopped or what will be done about it. And it seems that the numbers I brought you last week on the amount of terror watch subjects, uh, terror list subjects that have been intercepted at the border, I told you it was a record. It was 151 versus three five years ago. It seems that those numbers are low. The Department of Homeland Security has now come out with new numbers. There were 796 intercepts just in the last few months of folks on the terror watch list. You don't think there's any correlation with what's happening in the Mideast, do you? Remember, folks, if you have a permit to carry, carry. If you're in a state that allows you to carry with or without a permit, carry. And it seems like our government is just catching on to it, or maybe they're setting us up for a big false flag event. Who knows with them? Because the San Diego Field Office Intelligence Unit They assess now that individuals inspired by or reacting to the current Israel-Hamas conflict may attempt travel to or from, I'm quoting, to or from areas of hostilities in the Middle East via circuitous transit across the southwest states. Okay, well, that's news to us. We would have never figured that out. Let's shift over to some other news, shall we? How about economics? There's a guy by the name of John Donenberg. He just so happens to have been the chief of staff for that wonderful senator from Massachusetts. Hey, Boston, how are you? Elizabeth Warren. And it just so happens that he put together her student loan forgiveness program. And he also put together her vast increase in tax proposals and advised on a number of other actions, including pushing for regulations from the Treasury Department to increase payments from high-wealth families and multinational corporations and hedge fund managers. Guess what? He just got appointed to a big position in the Biden-Obama administration. He's been appointed as President Joe Biden's National Economic Council Deputy Director. Oh, well, I'm glad that we're looking at free markets and capitalism up there in the White House. And Anthony Fauci, our buddy, Tricky Tony Fraudulent Fauci, he's at it again. He was, uh, he gave an interview to Science Translational Medicine magazine, and it was entitled, What Keeps Me Up at Night? And, (laughs) 
What keeps them up at night, folks, is misinformation and disinformation and vaccine hesitancy. And what really keeps them up at night, listen carefully to this, was the, quote, possibility of the emergence of a brand new pathogen. And that post-COVID, this nightmare continues to be about the emerging pathogen of pandemic potential. I have a video of his interview. If you want to puke, definitely watch it. And speaking of COVID-related matters, you know, D.C. Mayor Bowser. Oh, my, just horrible. She now wants to pass a law, I'm not, I'm trying not to laugh here, to ban criminals from wearing face masks while committing a crime. Remember that this city, D.C., scratched just such a law during the height of the COVID insanity. Maybe her plan is that all the bandits will get COVID and then they don't have to deal with them in their release them and don't charge bail system. And Atrium Health, this is a national health service, this is kind of worrisome. Carolina, South Carolina, they have informed parents, I'm not making this up, that they will no longer provide information to them regarding their children's prescriptions once the kid is 12 years old. I I mean, really? A letter was sent out to parents and all legal guardians Quote, starting November 1, 2023, you will no longer be able to access prescription information for children between the ages of 12 to 17 years old. And they try and explain the rationale for this, by the way. Quote, this changes to protect the privacy of your child's prescription records. It allows minors to receive prescription medication for sensitive issues, as permitted by law, without worrying about how their parents might react. Oh, wow, that sounds just great. Quote, beginning November 1, 2023, children ages 12 to 17 will need to create a new account on the Carolina Care website in order to see or order their prescription medications. Listen to this, folks. Parents will no longer be able to view or manage their child's prescriptions. Really? And then it goes on. It gets better. You know, we're not done yet. Quote, this may include treatment for sexually transmitted diseases and other diseases that must be reported to the state, pregnancy, drug or alcohol abuse, and mental health. What comes under mental health, folks? Oh, that's right, gender dysphoria. And you know, it's really not so coincidental that this follows the passage by the North Carolina's General Assembly, overriding Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's vetoes. When are you going to get rid of them, guys, down there in North Carolina? Cooper needs to go. Last August, they passed a law that restricted gender-affirming medical treatments for transgender youth. So now the woke health providers are trying to get around it with, you know, health care regulations. So down there in North Carolina, if I were a parent down there or a grandparent or a legal guardian, I think I'd be raising holy hell. What do you think? And because this is really important, you know, with the Israeli thing going on and the Chinese thing going on and the North Korean thing going on and the Kosovo thing going on and the Ukraine thing going on, the HHS office, right, Human Health and Human Services, their civil rights branch just rolled out a new policy and they told everybody that works at HHS that they must use a person's preferred pronouns. And HHS says this is, quote, a necessary step to create a more inclusive space for gender diverse employees and provide workplace procedures safeguarding gender expression, unquote. And then it goes on to say that, you know, if you don't call people by their preferred pronouns, you could be creating a hostile work environment and be conducting unlawful harassment. And if you persist after a warning, you could be arrested and lose your job and be fined and all those nasty things. And I guess this is kind of a combination of economy and health. It seems that there's 1,500 drugstores across America that are going to be shutting down, right? This is a big deal. And it's going to create what experts call 
pharmacy deserts, like one in four communities aren't going to have a pharmacy within a year. Rite Aid had to file Chapter 11. They're closing a bunch of stores. And by the way, this was an article in the Daily Mail. And CVS is going to be closing 900 stores. By the way, CVS lost a store manager in Arizona last month after the poor guy was shot and killed by a customer who was shoplifting. If you really want to have your mind blown, listen to this. Capital One Research. Those stores, those outfits, lost an estimated $86.6 billion to retail theft in 2022. And that figure is projected to increase to $115 billion by 2025. No, there's no crime problem here, folks. Move right along, nothing to see. In other rat-a-tat-tat, Judicial Watch, these guys rock. you got to give them money, folks. They're great. JudicialWatch.org. Send them some money. They just came out with their COVID project report. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Hopefully, we're going to have a link to it on the website. If not this week, then next week for sure. Definitely give it a thumb through. It will open your eyes. And the Washington Post actually kind of gave half an apology last week for its reporting and its hype on COVID. Yeah, I mean... They patted themselves on the back and, you know, kind of manufactured a bunch of stuff to make the apology a little bit softer. You know, they don't want to completely grovel. But the bottom line is they basically admitted that they overstepped their skis on their COVID reporting. Wow. Mainstream media. Maybe kind of, perhaps, a little bit coming around. In worrisome news, a big North American gun manufacturer, the largest, including, by the way, of such brand names as Remington, yes, Remington, has been sold for about $1.9 billion to a 30-year-old Czechoslovakian. Now, I'm not sure, and I can't find out, if the guy is a Czech national on a green card here in the United States, or was born in Czechoslovakia and is now a U.S. citizen. In any event, he lives in Bozeman, Montana. And apparently, he says he's going to continue manufacturing this ammunition. As we all know, ammunition is in short supply. Number one, because the government is trying to limit ammunition to private parties because they're really scared of safety issues, folks. But not your safety issues, their safety issues. At a certain point in time, they've realized that, you know, 100, 150 million armed Americans who are pissed off enough is probably not safe for them. Which, of course, is exactly why the founders put the Second Amendment into the Bill of Rights. But what concerns me is there was, really unfortunately, just a few days ago, a mass shooting in Lewiston, Maine, of all places. I'm familiar with that town. Great little spot. It looks like 22 people were killed. 40, 50, 60 may have been wounded. It was by an arms instructor who, coincidentally was complaining about hearing voices in his head this summer and was hospitalized for mental illness rehabilitation and evaluation. Hopefully you folks have listened to my shows on mind control, the history of mind control. If you haven't, do so. Voice to skull technology, the use of microwaves and radio waves to implant suggestions and erase memories. I just find all of these things happening all at once worrisome. And hopefully this 30-year-old living in Bozeman, Montana, not the most red city on the planet, who suddenly controls the largest arms manufacturer in North America, isn't doing kind of a, shall we say, Obama-style head faint. You know? Oh, I've decided to close the companies down. Well, hopefully not. We shall see.
And last but not least, do you know how much Americans are going to spend on Halloween this year? This is an estimate. $12.2 billion, folks. $12.2 billion. Assuming that half those Americans are conservative, that's $6 billion. May I suggest, let's go back to the founder's quote, you're defined by your actions, Thomas Jefferson. Think about how much that could do in the political arena, supporting the candidates and causes of your choice if you bought a little bit less candy and sent in a few more well-prescribed, no pun intended, and well-directed political donations. We're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.